Make your plans now to join us for the G3 National Conference, September 30th through October 2nd, as we'll gather for Christian fellowship and the worship of God through song and the preached word. Our theme for the 2021 conference will be centered on biblical Christology. You can find registration details at g3men.org. Get 15% off by mentioning code G3BAR. That's G3BAR. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening or watching our podcast. If you're enjoying our podcast, we would like to invite you to support us by leaving us a review. Let us know how you have been encouraged by each one of the stories that you have listened here. Also leaving us your feedback. You can also help by following us on social media on Instagram and Facebook or by liking or commenting on our post and also by sharing with your friends and family. Also, don't forget to subscribe on our podcast and YouTube channel. Another way that you can also help us is financially by visiting our Patreon page by going on the link here on the description. This is Ordinary People with Extraordinary Lives, a series dedicated to the testimonies of believers and followers of Jesus Christ. I am your host, Arlenis Bakalu. Welcome everyone to Ordinary People with Extraordinary Lives. My name is Ty Nickelberry, and today we're going to be talking about the death and the resurrection of Christ. Today is known as Good Friday. For many people, they are getting ready to celebrate what, they, what is commonly known as Easter. And if you're anything like me growing up, you had Easter egg hunts, you remember the chocolate, you remember the cream-filled uh, candies and just wanting to play as a kid. But it's not about that. It's about a particular person, the death and the resurrection of Christ. Today, you know, there's been a few weeks now we've been mourning over many people who have died in Boulder, Colorado, and even the shootings that took place in Atlanta. Many people are asking the question, like, why? And there's a lot of rumblings as to, well, how was this person, uh, how did they grow up? What causes someone to commit these types of crime that are just egregious? And we have an answer especially when we're starting to think about the death of people. Unfortunately, everyone dies. And so Jesus gives us an answer in his death and his resurrection. So that's what we want to talk about today. Now, commonly today is known as Good Friday. And that was the day that Christ actually did die. And at the time, it was a time that caused a lot of grief. But it's known as being a Good Friday because the, the grave, it did not take hold of him. The grave did not have the final say. Jesus actually rose from the dead. And because of that, those who believe in Jesus have a sense of hope, um, a sense of expectation that there is an afterlife, that there is in heaven, that there is a God. And so today we're going to talk about that, one, because we want to be encouraged. But also, if you do not know Christ, we also want to give you that hope that is only found in him, and specifically his death and his resurrection. So first of all, I want to read a particular passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, because it really paints a picture of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, it reads this. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. You see, this passage is one of the clearest teachings on the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. Here, the Apostle Paul makes clear it is of first importance. 
It was this gospel that Paul received and he declared to the Corinthians. It's also the same gospel that we have received and the same gospel right now that I want to declare to you. It is the only means by which we are going to be saved. And particularly, we're talking about the death and the resurrection of Christ. You see, the death and resurrection of Christ must be considered as of most importance of the gospel so that hearers will believe and have eternal life. You see, the death of Jesus is an important aspect of the gospel, as I, as I already mentioned. You see, this biblical teaching has been debated by some. Some have believed in a swoon theory. It basically saying that Jesus didn't actually die, or some hail to what they call docetic beliefs. Well, this comes from a Greek word, dakeo, means to think or the seem, meaning that Jesus only appeared to have died. But that is not true. Again, if we were to look at that First Corinthians passage, it says, Paul says that I'm going to declare to you what I received, what is according to the scriptures. You see, the Bible, the scriptures, has to be the way that we're going to understand about the gospel, particularly the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And one of the things that is so great about the Bible is that God says, and I believe in Isaiah, he says, I declare the end from the beginning. And this is what we know as prophecy. God has said way before the death of Christ, the birth of Christ, that these things were going to take place. Let me give you an example. If we were to look at Acts chapter 8, there was a particular um, evangelist by the name of Philip. And God tells him, I want you to go to a specific place and I want you to preach the gospel. And so he comes to an Ethiopian and he starts to share the gospel. But I'm going to read this, this verse here. It says in Acts chapter 8, verse 29 through 33. It reads this, Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he, that is the Ethiopian, said, Well, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And the Ethiopian invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of Scripture which he was reading was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. You see, Philip asked the Ethiopian, do you understand the things that you're reading? And the Ethiopian responds to him, how can I unless someone guides me? And see, the Ethiopian at this time, he's reading an Old Testament passage. He's reading out of the book of Isaiah. And this book of Isaiah was written six, seven hundred years before the birth of Christ. Well, let me take you to that passage of scripture that the Ethiopian was reading. And he was reading in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7 and 8. But I'm going to read the entire chapters 53, verses 7 through 12 to kind of give the entire context. And it says, he was oppressed. He was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people, to whom the stroke was due. His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. 
If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. You see, Philip's preaching on this text to the eunuch is, eunuch is a declaration that the one whom the prophet speaks is it's Jesus. It's the Christ. It's the Messiah. He is the one to save the rest of humanity. In fact, all of humanity, if they will put their trust and their hope in him. He is, as it says in Isaiah 53, 7, when it talks about as he was led as a lamb, we see this in John chapter 12, verse 9, when John the Baptist, he sees Jesus and he says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, this is the Jesus that was going to take away that sin of the world. But also, if we were to look at, again, Isaiah 53, verse 8, it talks about the transgressions of the people. He was cut off. And so it points to the substitutionary atonement of Christ. It should have us reflect on 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, where it says that he, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. But there's more. Though through Jesus' death, he bore the sin of many, and it was pleasing to God for him. That is, Jesus to be crushed, that whoever would believe in him would have life. Scripture again affirms, affirms this truth in 1 John 2, 2. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. And when we talk about the propitiation, it simply means that Jesus, he took our place. And it pleased God. It, the wrath of God went upon Jesus on the cross. And because of Jesus' substitution, taking that wrath upon himself, it allows all of those who put their faith and their trust in Christ to have life in him. Jesus is the propitiation for those who would believe in his finished work, particularly his death. But there's more. So we see the Old Testament predictions, but there's also New Testament predictions. And we see this in Matthew chapter 17, verse 9. And Jesus, he tells his disciples, tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. And so what we see very clearly is that he was anticipating his death. He says something very similar in Matthew chapter 17, verse 23. And he says, and they, that is men, will kill him, speaking of the Son of Man, and he will be raised on the third day. Again, Jesus anticipated a time that he was actually going to die. He had came for a purpose. When Jesus does that, it is remembered that because of Jesus' death, it allows any believer to have life in him. And again, we can look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, and it reads this, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that, here's the purpose, he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. And we see the fulfillment of this. And again, if we were to look at Matthew chapter 27, verses 27 through 38, we can see what happens with Jesus. Now he's captured. He's taken to Pilate. 
there's a crown of thorns on his head. He's getting beat, spat upon, but also he's being mocked and ridiculed. And I'm just going to read this passage here. It says in Matthew chapter 27, verses 27 through 38, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole Roman cohort around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And after twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they knelt, knelt down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spat on him and took the reed and began to beat him on the head. After they had mocked him, they took the scarlet robe off him and put his own garments back on him and led him away to crucify him. As they were coming out, they found a man of Cyrene named Simon, whom they pressed into service to bear his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they gave him wine to drink mixed with gall. And after tasting it, he was unwilling to drink. And when they had crucified him, they divided up his garments among themselves by casting lots. And sitting down, they began to keep watch over him there. And above his head, they put up the charge against him, against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. At that time, two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right hand and one on the left. Now, again, if I was to look at specifically in verse 38, it says, At that time, two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right hand and one on the left. If we were to look at Isaiah chapter 53, which I've already read, in verse 9 it says, he, His grave was assigned with wicked men. You see that when Jesus died, he had two robbers, two wicked men that he was there. We see a fulfillment of that. But we also see another fulfillment if we were to look at Matthew chapter 27, verses 57 through 60. And I'm going to read that as well. And it says, When it was evening, there was a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb and went away. Again, there is a fulfillment there. He was with the rich in his death. Joseph, the rich man, provided that tomb for him. So we see the fulfillment of Jesus being with wicked men at his death, but also being with the rich when he was buried in that tomb. Again, this reminds us of the necessity of Jesus' death. It was absolutely necessary for Christ to die. Because if he did not die and taste death for everyone, everyone who was a Christian would not be guiltless of their sin free from their sin, or should I say, saved from their sin. And if we were to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says that if Jesus didn't die, and if he did not rise, then we would still be dead in our sins. Jesus is that hope. And we're reminded again in Romans 5, 8, but God, he demonstrates his own love towards us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It says in Luke chapter 24, verse 46, and he said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. Which brings me to my second point, and that is the resurrection of Jesus. So we already talked about the death of Jesus, 
But now we need to talk about the resurrection of Jesus because it has a major significance for those who walk with Christ. The resurrection is an important teaching in the Bible. It has a major significance in the life of the believer. And again, when we think about the resurrection, that again, that's also predicted in the Old Testament. And in Psalm chapter 16, verse 10, both Paul, the apostle, and also Peter, the apostle, they both use this verse to communicate about the resurrection. And Psalm 16, 10, it reads this, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. And that word Sheol, is, it means the the grave. You will not allow your Holy One to decay. You will not allow your Holy One to stay in this place, is what the psalmist is saying. And Paul and Peter, they apply this to Jesus's resurrection. And Peter, he uses, again, uses this text in Acts chapter 2, verse 25 to 28. And I'm going to read that so we have context. And it says this, for David says of him, speaking of Jesus, I saw the Lord always in my presence. For he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence." And again, if we were to look at Paul, Paul the Apostle says the same thing in Acts chapter 13, verse 35 through 57. He says, therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep, and he was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. But he whom God raised did not undergo decay. And what Paul and Peter, what they're saying here is that David, uh, the king, as great as he was, he went through decay. His body was still in the grave. But Jesus, his body did not stand in decay. He rose again on the third day, which, again, this reminds us, and we can apply some of the same text that I've already read in Matthew chapter 17, verse 9, when it says, Tell the vision of no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. Jesus had anticipated that, yes, he was going to die, but he also anticipated that he was going to conquer death and rise. And again, Matthew 17, 23, and they will kill him, that is Jesus, and he will be raised on the third day. You see, why is it called Good Friday? Because it anticipates that third day. It anticipates that Sunday when Jesus rose from the grave. There's another text here in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21 through 23. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. But Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned, that is, Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. It was God's purpose. It was Jesus's purpose to literally die a death that we should have died. It was Jesus's purpose to conquer the grave by rising from the dead. And what we see in that passage is that Peter wanted to rebuke him and said, not so, Lord, you're the Messiah, you're the Christ, you're the one who is supposed to save us. But he was thinking in ways of manly ways of doing it. 
He wasn't thinking about God's ways and God's interests, and therefore Jesus rebuked him because of it. It was absolutely necessary that Jesus was to die, but also for him to rise again. And then we see the fulfillment of this as well. You see, the fulfillment of Christ's resurrection was mentioned in all of the gospel accounts. If we were to look at Matthew, for instance, if you go to Matthew chapter 28, verse 6, it says that the women come to the tomb and they're asking this question and they see an angel. And an angel says to them, he is not here for he has risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he was lying. In Mark, it's a little bit more descriptive, and it talks about Mary Magdalene and Mary and how they're going with spices. They're going to anoint his body. But again, in Mark chapter 16, verse 6, they come to a man in white apparel, a young man in white apparel. And if we were to cross-examine these with other texts of Scripture, we know that this is also an angel. And he, that is this young man, that's what the text says, said to them, Do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. And again, if we look at Luke, very similar. Luke 24, verse 6 says, He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee. So it's a little bit more descriptive, saying that, remember, Jesus told you that this was going to happen. And the same thing in John. We, if we were to look at John's account, it's a little bit more descriptive. But what is also interesting is that the first ones to, at the tomb were women. And if we know anything about New Testament history, especially in that time of um, the year, the early what, 31st century AD, a woman's um, testimony wasn't considered valid. So for John and some of the other apostles to write the women into that, it just shows that they're not trying to hide anything. They're speaking the truth. But there's more. If we were to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and look at verses 5 through 8, this is exactly what Paul is saying. He's talking about the eyewitness accounts of Jesus. And it says, uh, Paul, the apostle, says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 5 through 8, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now. But some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. You see, the resurrection of Jesus was witnessed by many, by over 500 disciples of Christ. And this is why we believe, because of the eyewitness testimony of many, and because of that, they wrote it down. This is why we have the gospel account of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and many of the other epistles as well. And just as it says in John, when John talks about what what we have touched, what we have handled, what we have seen with our eyes, talking about the word of life, they witness the death of Christ, but they also witness his resurrection, seeing the risen Christ from the dead. But when we're starting to talk about the resurrection, we also have to understand that there are results of the resurrection as well. The resurrection, many times it's, you know, we talk about the gospel and we say, yeah, Jesus, his death, his burial. But many times we forget about the resurrection, meaning that we forget about the significance of the resurrection. And one of the first things or one of the first results is, number one, is is that it, it is a fulfillment of the Old Testament in Christ's words. I've already talked about this before. Again, if we were to look in Isaiah, one of the things about God is that he says, I tell you the end from the beginning. And so when these things actually took place, when they were actually fulfilled, it validates God, it validates Scripture, it validates the Bible. But not only that, the other 
result of the resurrection is that it is it declares the deity of Jesus. Jesus says this, I believe it's in um, John chapter 5, and he says, just as the Father has life in himself, so the Son also has life in himself. Jesus said um, to uh, many who were challenging him, you do not take my life from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it up again. Jesus had life in himself. And if we were to look at Romans chapter 1, verse 4, it says, who, speaking of Jesus, was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, the resurrection was done in power, and it proved Jesus to be the Son of God, equal with God. He was God. That's who Jesus was. That's what the resurrection proved. But there's more. The resurrection is also the means by which believers, myself, and all of you who would watch this podcast, is that we are born again. You see, the thing is, is that none of us can ever um, have a relationship with God in our old nature. We cannot commune with God. We cannot um, talk with God. We cannot have a relationship with God. We have to be given a new nature. See, our old nature is depraved. And because of that, we can't cross over to God. But God is also holy. So he's not going to cross over to us. But Jesus, coming as the Son of God, coming as man, incarnated God, does that very thing. He makes a way for us. You see, but when he raises himself from the dead, it's also a means of our regeneration. If we were to look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus Christ's resurrection is the means by which we are able to see, but also the means by which we're able to enter into the kingdom. If you guys remember, Jesus had an encounter with Nicodemus, and he told Nicodemus, unless one is born again, he can't see the kingdom. He cannot enter into the kingdom. Similarly, we cannot see the kingdom. We cannot enter into the kingdom unless we're born again, unless we're given a new nature. And when Jesus rises again, it allows us to take on that new nature. To, that we were able to have this communion, this communion with God. But there's more. <laughs> you see, the resurrection is also the means by which we are justified. It is the means by which we are justified. And when we're talking about justification, it means sitting in court and the gavel is about to be um, slammed on the table and it says not guilty. It's not something that we do in and of ourselves. This is a one moment thing. We don't have to work for our salvation. We don't make ourselves righteous. We are declared righteous before a just and a perfect judge. And it says in Romans 4, 25, he who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. You see, Jesus' resurrection, again, it's the means. It is the reason that we are able to be justified before the Father. But there's more. One more point, and that is the resurrection. And there's a whole lot of other things that we can talk about. So unfortunately, it's not going to be exhaustive, but it does give you an idea of why, as Christians, we are to be thankful. And the last thing is, the resurrection is proof of Christ's judgment to come. You see, the world will be judged by the one who is to come. You know, we look at 
um, the unfortunate incidents that are going on today, whether it's people being shot, murdered, whether we have to survive through a disease or a virus named COVID-19 and people dying, and it feels unnatural to us. But the thing is, is that we're all going to die and we're all going to face judgment. And if you don't have an advocate for you, that judgment, it's going to be eternal separation from God. The Bible says in Acts chapter 17, verse 31, because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he had, has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising Jesus from the dead. Jesus' resurrection proves that he is indeed who he is. And that one who is going to come back, we're talking about the second coming of Christ. He will bring judgment to this earth. So I want to conclude with this. We live in a world that has fallen. It doesn't take us long to, to figure out that something's wrong with the world. We are all looking for an answer, but the answer is in the gospel, particularly the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I would hope that if you do not know Christ, that you would turn, that you would repent, that you would put your faith and your trust in the finished work of Christ, and that you would have a relationship with him. But also, if you're here and you're a Christian, that you're reflecting on the death and resurrection of Christ because Christ has done so many things for us. And because of that, we can have peace, we can have joy. And no matter what we're going through in this world, that we know that we have hope because we know that just as Christ rose from the dead, that our bodies one day will also rise and that we will see Christ face to face. I pray that you guys have a great weekend. Enjoy uh, Resurrection Sunday. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Ty Nickelberry, and this is Ordinary People with Extraordinary Lives. Mm-hmm.